Hello, it is Amy. I am back at it again, and uh, this is my first time having a panel to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender, and I'm very excited. So, um, yes, I have Christina, Steven, and Yogi with me today. Um, I, I like to do my plugs up front. So, the next Avatar Last Airbender thing I have coming is going to be another one of the nations. I haven't decided yet, and I'm going to start doing character studies. Uh, it's either going to be Zuko or Iroh first, and I cannot decide. Maybe I'll put it up to Twitter. I'll poll you guys. You know, I love that, and I'll figure that out. But that's what I have upcoming for that, and I have more Song of Ice and Fire and His Dark Materials things coming up, but I will leave it there. Um, Yogi, what do you got going on over it all through the Moon Door? Yeah, I have a YouTube channel slash podcast called Through the Moon Door. I've been doing lots of episodes uh, so far about Orientalism, Jamie and Cersei's relationship, my favorite minor characters, all that stuff. Sadly, on most of those podcasts, my audio has been corrupted because StreamYard hates me. So I'm currently in the process of trying to fix that. And until I have it fixed, I haven't really planned ahead on doing um, other episodes. I have a couple of, of ideas floating around, but sadly, I don't really have anything to announce. But uh, the, the idea that I like the most that I'm probably going to do is I'll have Kelly, aka Jaded Redhead, on to talk about ships in a song of ice and fire ship ship related aswath content boats. that's her thing <laughs> yes the episode's going to be called ships for brains and <laughs> uh <laughs> that's all i know about it so far and tomorrow on valentine's day i will release the audio version of the live stream that i did with rohan about jamie and cersei's relationship uh, i did that last sunday but i will release it as a podcast uh tomorrow on the 14th of february 2021 uh, how That's romantic. That's all I got. Um, yeah, and, and Rohan has been on my channel to talk about Cersei. We did a whole episode, but uh, it's exciting that Yogi got to get have her on to talk about a specific relationship. And I will have Yogi yeah. on next month for my fourth episode of Buddy Banter. I just uh, released my third episode with... Um, with Low the Links, and we had a really good time. I always love having them on the channel. They have become a regular, uh, so we had a really good time. So, Stephen, tell us about Here Be Dragons. I wasn't ready to unmute. You got to me too quick. Um, <clears throat> hi, I'm Stephen Stark. I am the host of Here Be Dragons. Uh, over there, we stream, live stream, once a week, every Sunday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, and we cover all kinds of nerdy topics. Um, we've done a lot of stuff for The Expanse, uh, talked a little Star Wars, a little Star Trek. Um, yeah, just you never know what we're going to be talking about one week to the next. I do have a series called uh, I Know That Nerd, and I have actually known, sorry, that nerd and that nerd on that series. They've both been guests of mine. Um, specifically, tomorrow, Valentine's Day, as of the recording of this, we will be talking about the best romantic relationship on television right now, and that is WandaVision. The love between those two is fantastic. Weird show. I, um, I hope you uh, hope you can join us for that tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern. And the week after that, I'm going to be having Nessie, the questing beast, as the nerd I get to know a little better. Now, this is a lady I know pretty well. She's a co-host of mine. Um, we hung out at the con a couple, uh, couple years, and yeah, we're just going to have a blast getting to uh, having a nice long conversation between two friends. 
That is so exciting. And everyone uh, check out Nessie's channel, The Unspun Yarn. We have over there, I co-host a series we have called Bleep the Patriarchy, Bleep It Y'all, where we do some sweet, sweet feminist analysis. She also does The Magical Menagerie, where she covers all sorts of mystical beasts. She has like a four-parter on dragons. And I'm going to be on there this month to talk about the phoenix. So we're going to have a really good time. And she's also been doing some Arthurian legend coverage. So please check her out. She talks all things mythology, pop culture, and lore. Lots of fun. Um, so Christina, also known as Lady Triple, anything you got coming up? Um, you know what? Every single time I do one of these, I don't, and then something happens. But please, <laughs> um, I do have a group of friends, and we do a uh, filk and parody music, mostly to a swath, but hopefully building out from that eventually, but we're called Lip Bringers and we have a channel on YouTube. We did a Christmas special called what, Merry Litmus and we had a really fun time and I wish I could have plugged that, but hey, if you're still feeling in the spirit of Christmas, go check it out. It's worth your time. There's some great singing. Um, Steven and his two co-hosts and I, we do, uh, we have, we recorded a little holiday message that's in there a couple of other um like i know um is it aswaf ninja is that his name Something oh wait ninja. or citadel or i can't remember there, there are other content creators on there so yes. check that out <laughs> uh so yeah i'll have the the links to here be dragons um through the moon door and lip ringers in the description so you can uh you can consume content to your delight. Um, so yes, I'm very excited to have my first panel about Avatar Last Airbender. And I did a poll, as I want to do, uh, and I asked Twitter, uh, those who follow me at least, uh, which nation they wanted me to do first. And they picked the Air Nation. So that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about airbending, Air Nation culture, and um, air, you know, airbending characters. So let's go ahead and just talk a little bit about kind of the, uh, maybe we should actually, I wanted to start with, at first with air nation culture, but maybe we should start about the origins of airbending. And specifically, I want to talk about the air bison, which Christina has a little shirt that kind of goes with this theme. Um, but yeah, so what do we think about the kind of the lore? Yay, there it is. It's so cute. <laughs> Yay. I love the show and tell we've got going on. <laughs> So what, yeah, what, how do we see the, uh, every nation basically has a kind of founding um, animal, right? We have the dragon for fire, the badger moles for earth. Um, but what do we think about the air bison in air nation culture and air bending? Well, I do love that, um, that the tattoos that they get the airbending masters match the um, the sky bison with the arrows. I think that's a good um, kind of honor to them. But seeing them as the original source of airbending is I don't know. It's it's always interesting with how um, oh I was I was having this talk earlier about how um, you know we know through Cora that the lion turtles are the ones that give the bending. Yeah. But the, the sky bison are the masters of it. So they're the ones who teach the, um, they're the ones who teach the humans the mastery, right? I, li I like that connection 
and it, I mean, it seems that 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 they are the masters because they all are all um, capable of flight, right? Which is something only two airbenders can do. Yeah, yeah and they also use their tail to whip wind. And yeah, and I also kind of think of in the timeline, at least Aang's timeline, the lion turtles have kind of been forgotten about. So I think that it's been a, you know, myth changes over time. Um, but I think he does mention that that's how that the airbending monks learned the technique, right? So the, um, the bison were the teachers, basically. Yeah. The funny thing about Alpha for me is when I was watching uh, Last Airbender as a kid for the first time, I never questioned how he could fly. Uh, like for some reason, it never really clicked with me that he's an airbender until like <laughs> I, 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 either, I either rewatched it or it was a line in the show, but I just never really... That's just being a kid, I guess. I just I didn't question this giant wingless bison. What is it? I mean, most of the animals in Avatar are like combinations of two separate animals. Yes. What is it? Is it a beaver and a bison? Oh, no. It's definitely a bison and a hot air balloon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually they make a joke about that, I believe, in season two, whenever they're like, oh, the Earth King's bear. And they're like, you mean platypus bear? Like, no. And they're like, you mean something else bear? And they're like, no, they're yeah. just a bear. And they're like, that's weird. But the thing about <laughs> that, though, if you if you think that through to its logical end conclusion is that they know what a platypus is. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to call it a platypus bear. But where are all the platypi? Where are those bears? platypi? Why do they refer to each animal as a combination of things if there's not the original versions of it anywhere? Mm, I like <laughs> your thinking, Yogi. That's well, that's a... just, that's a lot. <laughs> we got it. That's a whole different and topic. That, <laughs> that's, next episode that's, will be about animals. In, that's last episode of the We have to ask that guy who got stuck in the, the owl library. <laughs> he probably oh, my God. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there are a few examples of single animals. And you, you mentioning the library reminds me that uh, Wan Shitong's servants were foxes, just foxes. Um, but you're right, most of them are crossovers. But the sky bison is not one, or the air bison. Um, and I didn't watch this show until I was well and truly an adult. I was introduced to it through my kids. And um, I don't know that I ever really questioned how he could fly either. You know, it becomes, it's very clear very early on. This is a fantasy world, and I've been consuming fantasy my whole life. So, you know helium internal helium sacs is is my explanation and it's as good as any as i need <laughs> and then they've got that yeah. as you say almost kind of beaver tail with yeah sure well, he he manipulates the air currents with his tail and his six feet which i just love whenever they make him walk it's so funny like in season three when they're actually my favorite episode of season three is the dance party episode in the cave and they're like okay appa go ahead and go in the back and he like shuffles with his six feet and it's so freaking cute yeah i, mean, I love in that way, so much it just that's shows that the air bisons play me oh hotman of course that's my favorite love that episode the footloose episode <laughs> you are yeah, aware that that is the same season that contains the Look, finale and also the day of the black sun. It doesn't do anything sun. for the plot, but it's just fun and it shows how repressed the Fire Nation kids are. That and I true. love the part where they like do the Fire Nation pledge and he's like, blah, blah, Fire Lord, Fire Bindi. <laughs> like, it's great. I also okay. like Ozai made I know of noodles. that it's season great. three is your favorite, Steven, so I'm sure that you have lots of opinions. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but I think uh, you know we'll do a Alpha whole being... season three episode with just you, Stephen. Yeah, Appa being able to fly though, it just shows that the air bisons, just like the dragons, are the masters of fire bending. The air bisons have mastered air bending because it's like the highest form of air bending is being able to hover and fly, like Zahir does in uh, Legend of Korra. So it does make sense if they're mm -hmm. the original, the true masters, the air bending masters. Now, now I'm sitting there. I just like to pick things apart. So now I'm like, uh, could the badger moose do metal bending, or is that <laughs> that would be metal? <laughs> yes. Yeah. The thing with that is, like... yeah. The thing with that is, is 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 metal bending the like purest form of earth bending? The way that hovering is for air bending, or is it just a new thing that it was yeah. invented? But then, what is the purest it's a form? Sub, it's a sub bending. Yeah. There's like lava. Is it like lava lightning. bending? Yeah. There's like really yeah. Like... just like lightning bending is a sub. You know, it's like yeah. another branch of fire bending. I don't. I don't think the dragons were like shooting things down with lightning. Oh, <laughs> um, also. Hmm. Also that actually, so there's a huge connection between airbenders and the spirit world and spirituality. So it's like, I wonder about the spirituality and like how connected the sky bison are to the spirit world. I don't know if I know any examples of them like traveling to it or in the spirit world itself, if there are air or sky bison, excuse me. But that would be kind of interesting because Gosh, it's like, I, I definitely know spirituality is, well, spirituality is so important to the air culture because all of their offspring are benders. Um, it's not like earth benders where, you know, you might be a bender, you might not. Like if you're back before they were wiped out, all of everybody who was born, and there's this whole, I mean, gosh, I have a lot of questions about <laughs> about what was going on with the two temples are female and then the two temples are male. So I'm like, how are you reproducing? Oh, you have a festival every year and you get together and then- Sexy. The women are pregnant somehow. And then- It's a kid show. The don't, kids, don't it's question a kid, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, um, the lack of, <laughs> of kind of fa families and, What's interesting, and this is something um, that I will, when we're done with our discussion, I'm going to read this quick essay that I did about the culture influences on the Air Nation. And one of them is this monastic culture, specifically Tibetan Buddhist monastic culture. And there is that separation of the sexes. And it, there is also that idea of detachment from worldly things. And actually, you made me think of something, Christina, which is this idea of the sky and how in, so in classic Chinese thought there is round heaven and square earth which is actually you see the earth nation is round with a square in the middle that's a Chinese symbol for the heavens and the mortal world so tian meaning sky actually also means heaven or the spiritual realm so the fact that the bison can fly actually would make them closer to the gods technically if we're talking yeah. just mythology and, you know bison are you know, they're uh, uh, an animal really native to North America, but what they represented to the native peoples of America was a great deal of freedom. And the fact that they are a huge unit that can that sticks together, but still moves very freely around its environment, not attached to any one place, because they are a, uh, a migratory herd animal. Uh, it's, it's, it's gonna be evocative of this idea of, of the freedom to come and go uh, or freedom in general, which is going to be an ongoing theme and all of the Air Nation stuff going forward from this point as well. 
like this idea of of being free to choose your own path to yeah. to to contemplate all the various paths before you before um say jumping headfirst into something uh, that's going to be a very common theme to every aspect of airbender the cultures the the character the the sky bison themselves um this idea that they're very free and i was having this thought earlier if i might just continue a tangential point a little bit y'all mostly know i'm a dnd guy i'm gonna i'm gonna look at every piece of media I consume through that D&D filter. And, you know, this idea of, of absolute freedom, you would think might be a very chaotic thing, but I actually think the opposite might be true because the earth, I'm not, I'm sorry, the, uh, the air nomads have a pretty strict set of rules that they live by and adhere to about their nonviolence, about their vegetarian lifestyle, um, as you say, the separation of, of men and women, it's um, for some, for, for a society to be free, they actually have a whole lot of rules at which we can have a whole conversation about the dichotomy of freedom and, and, uh, and law. But I do find the Air Nation to be really uh, kind of a gold mine for thinking about that, the, the philosophies of freedom. And it plays out really well for being on a kid's show. Yeah, yeah and I think especially when we get to hear there, when we see him kind of misinterpreting this idea of freedom and he reads it as anarchy. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting to see play out. And was, you know, I was a teenager adult when I saw Cora, but I was a kid when I saw um, Last Airbender. And it, it, it was interesting kind of to see that they realized after Last Airbender that there were these big themes that they could introduce to kids. I mean, genocide is literally in Avatar Last Airbender. So what they were able to do with Korra was kind of interesting because there's kind of this steampunk feel. Mm -hmm. So there, there are a lot more kind of political, uh, more modern, perhaps even Marxist kind of things going on that were interesting. Sorry, Yogi, I interrupted you. Oh, no, I just wanted to say I really liked uh, Stephen's point about the bisons and the connection to the... Native Americans, because um, I wonder if that was like a conscious choice when they were thinking about what kind of animal to give the the air nomads, because it does seem kind of random, like bisons have nothing to do with air, whereas you could see why, why a mole would be an inspiration for the earthbenders or a dragon for the firebenders and uh, the moon, I guess, for the waterbenders. I think <laughs> not, technically not... The, the, yeah, I guess it is, yeah. The it was the, yeah, the moon was the first waterbender, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, even though it's Between technically the sun and the moon who cause tides, but let's not get bogged down in that detail. And uh, take that for the water water tribe video. It's more so like the spirit that is represented by the moon, more so than the actual moon itself, I think. But that's uh, so. Yeah, but like, why a bison? Couldn't you have gone with like birds or anything? Any more like obvious choice? And maybe that was because of the idea that, that the air nomads are this these nomadic people who were like the victims of a genocide. And, and a, lot, a lot of the elements of, of sort of their culture, maybe that's where they got the idea from to make it a bison because they wanted to have that connection. I also think it's interesting that they connect with one airbender and that it, it seems a little bit contradictory to the freedom, right? To like kind of be in service to your airbender person and connect with them. Um, and I know that that happened in the training, like you got a sky bison and you 
I think it ended up changing where it's like they gave you a sky bison, but then, or the sky bison chose you versus you choosing your sky bison. I know Aang chose Appa, but. But then whenever you have um, the daughter of, of um, Lin's sister, who I can't remember, Suin, yeah, Suin Beifong, right? Her mm -hmm. daughter becomes an airbender in yeah. the last season of Korra and, and has that like air bison that's all boogery and she's like you don't choose your air bison so it's like wait what <laughs> I think they ended up changing it when I was doing my research but also they have this connection and then so in the Kyoshi novels um it's interesting because you can I'm trying not to spoil too much you should really read them though um everyone should read them uh they're amazing but something that was really interesting was, I won't spoil too much, but it, in the airbender uh, past and had a sky bison and they, you know, when you pass away, your sky bison, you know, generally like just goes back out into the wild and like joins a herd. And, but um, this particular sky bison chose to stay with Kiyoshi and help Kiyoshi because they knew it was what their master wanted. And so it, the, this sky bison helped Kiyoshi and then eventually was like, okay, I helped you. I think I'm good now, like peace. <laughs> I'm gonna go you know, join a herd and retire. But it is, it is interesting that, that they have some sort of like loyalty to their airbender and then, you know, will help their friends. Like, you know, Appa would, would help, you know, would give, um, you know, someone else a ride. Yeah, Sokka and Katara could, like, yeah. jump yeah. on it and be like, you'd be a, and he'd be yeah. like, okay. Sokka and Katara could ride, could ride Appa into battle. Yeah. yeah. Appa really trusted Katara. Yeah, so it's like, they definitely know, like, oh, okay, you're, you know, you're Aang's friend. You can, you know, I'll get... It's not uh -huh. like they can troll them that much, but it is interesting when you think about the concept of freedom of, of like them developing bonds with airbenders like that and then, you know, kind of staying in their service. But it, it seems like a a, a true love and loyalty inspired by that. So that's cool. They also remember people but, that they've yes. only met once. <laughs> remember in season three, Zuko said, hey, I let your air bison go. And they're like, we don't believe you. Then Appa licked him. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they also kind of have a sense of goodness in people. Kind of a little mm -hmm. bit like dogs. They, they kind of know when someone is not a good person. Unless there are some really clueless dogs out there. But I've had some dogs that knew, that would growl like I had one dog that was the sweetest dog and then he growled at at this one guy and I was like dude what's up and then the guy opened his mouth and he was a total asshole so I was like all right <laughs> like so there's kind of this sense from the, the the bison about the the goodness or lack thereof in people um but I think that something that's uh also interesting you know, Stephen has made the point about the uh, associations with freedom and, nom and nomad culture. Um, I also kind of like the playfulness of, in, in, as well, of the air nation culture with the games. They have air ball, they have these air scooters, uh, you know, races. Um, and, you know, you have uh, monkeyazzo. They use air bending to make the, the, fruit, the pies fly and, and, you know, land on other 
monks' heads who are meditating, right? So there is this seriousness for sure with the meditation, with the observance of, of um, you know, detachment and nonviolence and vegetarianism, but they're not boring and unhappy. <laughs> they actually have quite a bit of playfulness to them. And, that, and, and in my opinion, that's the, uh, I've been reading a lot about, um, I've, been, I've been getting really into the spiritual aspect of yoga lately, but, you know, it's still about, you can have fun. It's, it's about the non, you know, non-violence, like non-harm, right? You can, having that freedom of expression, as long as you are not harming people, and that's kind of a a fun thing. I mean, you have heard about, and there are a lot of examples of the air nomads um, kind of canceling people. Um, and I hate to say canceling people because it's not, it's you not the best they, term they to shun around like, right now. They shun them like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They do though. Um, <laughs> so one example was Kel Sang, who was Kurik's, one of Avatar Kurik's um, team avatar. So Kel Sang was an airbender. And after um, Kurik died, there was a lot of unrest in the world, especially because they could not locate the new avatar. And <laughs> so there was a lot of unrest that, you know, his team avatar was like, we've got to, you know, clean up. And there was this pirate fleet that was like doing bad stuff and Kurik or sorry Kelsang Avatar or sorry water or airbender Kelsang sorry I'm getting even like Kurik Kelsang waterbending airbending no so um Kelsang like you did the wave thing and destroyed them he killed a bunch of people and um he was shunned from the air nomads after that and then he also they couldn't find the avatar and he also stole the toys um from <laughs> he stole the toys from the air temple to um help the earth nation find the next avatar and, and that yes he was that shunned. idea of choosing the the choosing the toys um, based on past lives is actually how mm -hmm. they choose the Dalai Lama uh, traditionally in Tibet. So there, there are a lot of um, Hindu, uh, Buddhist, yeah. and Tibetan kind of all together um, kind of influences going on. Um, yeah, they, they do have a bit of, it sounds like they have kind of a accountability built into their, um, their culture as well. It's not just, you know, do what you want obviously they do have vows and principles that they have to um yeah. that they have to do and i also think we see with for example zahir we see how airbending can be used very violently he literally creates an air vacuum around them and takes literally chokes them to death takes the air out of them so it is a, it can be just as dangerous of an element as fire. It's just that they have come to be a peaceful person. Um, and also you, if you notice in Korra, they have, you were, uh, you mentioned the tattoos earlier, Christina, they had different tattoos uh, in the very original uh, airbenders. And so it looks like people or something. I'm not quite sure how you would, you would call it, but they, it, the um, 
Arrow was a kind of later, if you will, development, which I found yeah. interesting is they, they have evolved. They're not exactly the same as they were. And even though they're called nomads, you know, they have settled down in temples. Um, by yeah, the I, timeline. I think it was, I think their whole thing was they have the, like they have the culture, like you can live in our way. And I guess you technically can like defect, but you can't come back. They'll like disown you if you're not kind of following their way. But actually Kiyoshi's mom was an airbender who defected and she had a sky bison and she became like a thief and they were called the Flying Opera Company. And so she had a sky bison and um she married an earthbender and then they had or married or got with a earthbender and then they had kiyoshi but that's the thing i i don't think i think if you're in the culture then you're having airbender kids and you're not like if you defect and like go and have a family and not live by the air nomad laws then you're probably not going to have an airbending child which is, all of that is so interesting to me, like how Aang had one airbending kid, one waterbending kid, and then one non-bender who became an airbender later, which was really, that whole thing, I still don't understand, and I don't know if anybody has any theories on this, but like, how did you, is there any, is it just completely random who got the the airbending after the harmonic converge, convergence, or you know, for me, it makes sense with Zaheer because he was really spiritual that he got it. You know, Boomy, Boomy is really spiritual. Boomy is more spiritual than Tenzin. Boomy has a better spiritual connection with the spirit world and the spirits, like he has a little like Boomju spirit that he talks to and stuff. Whereas Tenzin is actually disconnected from the spirit world. So to me, I'm like, oh, that makes sense how Boomy got it. But then when you think about the air acolytes, like I didn't hear about any air acolytes getting airbending, right? I don't know. This is, maybe it's just too much. No, and we, you know, we were going to talk about the resurgence of the, of the air nation and how that happened uh, and kind of how that played out in the show. But I think we should actually talk about the genocide first and then talk about the resurgence um so we do have this to me the fire nation and i'll obviously talk about this more in depth in the episode i do on the fire nation but they really represent this colonialist imperialist kind of um you know invasion uh you know aggression uh that's really what they represent and they go for the air nation and you know some of it is because that's where the new avatar will come but it is also because they are a non-violent uh entity right there's the, in my favorite episode of season three when I, uh when ang is in the fire nation school they ask oh when did they when did they fight with the air nation army and he says the air nation had no army so it was also they were unfortunately an easy target because of their non-violence so kind of what I think maybe something we can also talk about is the imbalance that that created because the four elements are supposed to be balanced and yet you know a whole nation was wiped out so kind of what did that do in the timeline that we first get whenever Aang is emerges from the ice and it's been 100 years since anyone has seen an airbender kind of how does that affect 
the overall world? Well, it's very clear to me, at least, that this one of the central ideas of the original show, Avatar The Last Airbender, was the idea about multiculturalism and the value of having perspectives from outside your own, um, which is why Team Avatar is made up from people of all the different nations, benders and non-benders. Um, it's why Republic City is the way it is in The Legend of Korra. I think that is a, the death of one of those nations and seeing how out of balance it has created the world is, is I think is the backdrop by which the rest of the series praising multiculturalism, that, that's, that's the canvas it's painted on. You know, where they think about what they've lost, where we think of, where we see, I don't know, this is a complicated idea that I'm not sure I have the words for right off the top of my head, but it, it is interesting that in a show where children is the target demographic, that in the third episode of the whole dang show, they talk about the death of an entire race of people. Um, and it may have started just as, a, as a, an excuse to have that conversation with children. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty, and a good writer will look at, at all the stuff from Avatar The Last Airbender and then go on to write Korra and, and grow on the concepts that they've already built into it. So I'm not sure how deep they thought about the implications of that as they were writing it originally, deep to some extent, because obviously it comes off fantastically. Um, but I think maybe it even, it did start really as an excuse to have that conversation about multiculturalism by examining what's lost when, when we lost Aang and we see what, what the world has lost through his memories and his recollections of the people he knew, Monkey Atso, and, and there are a couple of characters like Boomy who remember that far back. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what else to say about it, sorry. <laughs> no, I, li I like that. I also like this idea of tying it to multiculturalism and that when you suppress a culture like that everyone suffers and I in the essay I'm going to read at the end of this episode I do talk about the uh, the Tibetan influences on the air nation and unfortunately there is a real world um, example of that in the Tibetans of having their religious and cultural heritage uh, being suppressed so much so that their religious leader cannot live in China um, so it, it's I think it's a way for the show writers to present real world problems and issues and tragedies to children. And like, you know, like Steven said in the, in the third episode, we literally get a desolate temple where we know, you know, they don't show, they do show um, Yatso's skeleton. And I remember seeing that as I was probably 10 or so, um, would I have been, I would have been a little older, 11 or 12, and that really surprised me because you didn't usually see that in animated series. And so it, it left a deep impact on me and I think is one of the many reasons that I feel very strongly about these issues of um, making sure that all cultures continue and uh, to, to have their own place in the world. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing about the point of 
multiculturalism is that the air no nation is a lot less of well, they're not the air nation they're the air nomads that's one thing like the fire nation is called the fire nation and the earth kingdom is called the earth kingdom and then the water tribes are the water tribes so it does make sense for this world where some people are born with this ability that seems to be tied to the region that they're from that these cultures would evolve or develop a strong sense of nationalism and national identity which we see especially with the fire nation who is the most imperialist of all the different regions but the animals don't really have that it's it's mentioned a lot of the times in avatar the last airbender that ang had friends from all over the world he had a friend in the earth kingdom in the fire nation and that's because the air nomads they travel around they're not they don't settle in one place and live there forever they they're very mobile they have that freedom and so uh, they have a lot they are a lot more uh, multiculturalism uh, and 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 in the way that they expose themselves to more different cultures and people and they're more open minded as opposed to a lot of the other nations who just keep to themselves and i think that may be part of why the fire nation especially who is very nationalistic and imperialist and colonialist and all that stuff thought of the air nomads as particularly weak there is that line in the very last or well, second to last episode of the show where ozai says to ang that uh, you're weak just like the rest of your people they did not des- deserve to exist in this world and that is while in the show there is the explanation that fire uh, sozen wiped out the air nomads because because he didn't want the next avatar to be born into them uh, i think a lot of it was also just the fact that they were the biggest sort of counterpoint to the to this fire nation idea of taking people over and and imperialism so because from a strategic point like it would have been way better for sozen to go after the, the earth kingdom like if he had just harnessed that comet power to destroy basing say that would have been a huge victory because the earth kingdom is really the only power that's holding out over the 100 years war against the fire nation and uh, so while the whole thing with the avatar being from there certainly was a big aspect of it i think it's just more so just the fact that they are um the the, the on the opposite of that spectrum of nationalism and and imperialism yeah it's interesting to see how um before before uh sozen how in the in the novels <laughs> sorry um how people that says in the kiyoshi novels <laughs> yeah, no. um so in the kiyoshi novels but it's true um actually it's it's interesting just to see how one the earth kingdom idolizes yang chen the previous heir avatar like there's statues they pray to her she's like you know an ideal kind of person and also um the way that they when even when um in an air nomad visit visits the fire nation like air nomads are what is it um they're supposed to be like good luck when you see an air nomad and like what so in the second kiyoshi novel there's in there's an airbender who is on the sky bison people are like oh my gosh it's an airbender like you know bless my crop you know bless my crops and all of that and they're seen as it good luck um but after sozen you know wipes them out he 
it, you know, it's the propaganda happens afterwards that no, they were, you know, there was an air army. No, there wasn't. <laughs> and um, also, yeah, that it, you know, they're not they're not like good luck charms anymore, which is interesting to see like how that kind of shifted a lot. Yeah, I think kind of where what I'm sensing from the panel is that it is too simplistic to say that Sozin just was after the Avatar. I think also kind of to all of your points, the Fire Nation also feared the inspiration that the uh, that these air nomads represented and the kind of rarity and the spiritual connection that they had, right? So the Earth Nation, you know, by default is very grounded and very kind of, um, you can say secular, whereas the kind of spiritual center of the Avatar, you know, of this universe, of this world, um, instead of Planetos, I guess we call it Avataros or whatever, in um, this universe is, is the air all four air temples right there at the north south east and west right they're in each direction and they're the the kind of spiritual centers of that direction and um i i do think that that kind of worried sozin he didn't like that they were so revered he wanted the fire nation to be revered and worshipped and he needed to replace that spiritualism with the emperor as god which is something i'm going to definitely talk about in my fire nation episode of how they represent world war ii japan because the emperor was a god on earth and they didn't want the avatar and especially an air nomad avatar to represent that instead um but i mean the genocide itself we have kind of covered a little bit and why the fire nation was so um was so aggressive and Christina was kind of bringing up earlier the resurgence of airbenders so let's go ahead and talk about that kind of how did how do we see I mean it literally says the last airbender right in the first series so then in Legend of Korra in the last season we get airbenders all of a sudden and the first time I saw it I hated it second time I saw it I liked it all right and I just did a rewatch a couple of weeks ago I'm still not super into it um so I'll, I'll give um, it to you panel let's talk about that I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. I think the writers really, really wanted the Air Nomads back and didn't care much how it would make sense. And they just sort of made some... To me, it's just really... It really like I, I tried to look into it. I tried to see if there's some kind of... I, to me, it just seems like they pulled a bunch of spiritual gobbledygook out of their ass because they wanted the Air Nomads back. And that's fine. Does it kind of devalue the whole genocide thing and the whole... I, maybe... I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's nice that they came back. It's nice that they tried to restart that culture and all that stuff. But I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, I think, um, uh, I mean, they there was, of course, Ang's kids. So they could have repopulated that way. It would have taken a lot longer <laughs> than, uh, than with this magic, them just coming back. I think it would have made more sense. Um, I don't want to say if I had been the writer, because it's always easy to go after people in hindsight. But... <laughs> Uh, I think it would have made more sense if more non-benders had gotten different bending abilities. So instead of just people suddenly being airbenders, if there had been other people who suddenly became firebenders and earthbenders as well. That to me would have made a little bit more sense because then it maybe it's maybe just like, oh, it unlocked, you know, bending abilities for more people and brought it back that way. Because otherwise I just, yeah, I'd have no idea how that, how you make that work. And, um 
I think I mostly agree with you, Yogi. Although I will say, like, I can see why it's just the airbenders because it is a spiritual happening and it's meant to return the balance. So I can forgive it just being airbenders because there's already a whole lot of fire and earth and water benders. That that's not the part that's out of balance. So that's the a spiritual good point. like healing salve is let's put some more earthbenders out there. We don't care who they really are. It doesn't matter. And I agree also that that's a little bit of clunky storytelling on their part, but you know, I'm not, we're not here to critique, but I, I think I more or less agree. I don't think there's a whole lot to be mined in this sort of like symbolic representation of all the air nomads coming back other than it's what they wanted to do. Yeah, I guess for me, I just wanted more of an explanation or a connection as to like why you would have, you know, I would have seen it as like a latent kind of thing. Like you might've been born and it didn't express itself because the, you know, things were out of whack. Like a latent um, X gene. In the X yeah, that's what I was kind of saw it as um, just because it made sense with Zaheer, right? He was drawn to gosh what's his name the, the, yeah lahima yes. that's right yeah so he was because he gosh he was like reciting his poems and stuff throughout i mean that's how that's how he knew about the flight and all that which is so so interesting um you know i i just thought it would be people who were just more spiritual and it seems that way in some cases like i said with boomy it makes sense he is he has the connection to the spirits um, way, probably, you know, he's like second to Janora to talking to them and able to, you know, how he sent the one spirit to save her and he knew something was wrong because this little like, what, Boomju is that what he called? Boom yeah, Boom, yeah, Boomju. So like he, he was really connected with the spirits, which made sense to me. The thing that wasn't was weird was that there are air acolytes who are people who kept the airbender tradition, even though they were non-benders. And you don't, and Pema, Tenzin's wife, is an air acolyte, which to me makes sense why they had all airbending kids. Because Aang, you'd think Aang would have all airbending kids, but no, he you know, was with a waterbender. So they had one airbender, one waterbender, and one non-bender. And so then Tenzin marries Pema, and then they have three or four, four, four <laughs> yeah. airbender children. And that makes sense to me because she's an air acolyte, but I guess it doesn't make sense to me that like, as far as we know, no air acolytes got airbending, <laughs> which is like, who is going to, you know, if you were going to give airbending to anybody. <laughs> to yeah, like, I got know? even years of my life to these Yeah. yeah but then, and then, but doesn't Tenzin just tell him to clean up the air temples? We got air, we got, we got new air nomads coming in. You guys can, like, clean the temples for us. To me, that kind of thing, <laughs> so that airbending isn't, maybe being an airbender makes you spiritual and not the other way around and maybe it's not being spiritual that makes you an airbender necessarily because some of them were like you say Zaheer and Bumi both were more spiritual but clearly not all of the air nomads were and those people that were following the spiritual tenets set down by the air nomads pre-genocide 
as you say, none of them became airbenders. So I, I kind of yeah. feel like that bending ability isn't tied to being spiritual. This, yeah. and, and maybe that it's a reflection of the way firebending works. It's from the breath, except it's not when you're filled with rage and hatred and loathing for another people group that can fuel your firebending as well. So it, it might not, you know, you could argue in season one that firebender, to be a good firebender, you have to be really angry all the time. But clearly we know by the end of the series that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So maybe it is the case that you don't need to be all that spiritual to be an airbender, but being spiritual can make you a powerful airbender. The way that the rage yeah. and, and loathing that people like Zuko had early Azula. in the series and, and, and yeah. uh, his father had throughout the whole series and Azula, they're, yeah. they're really big negative emotions made them powerful. I also think, I want to think that it's random too, because um, looking at the, so, you know, uh, Zaheer has the poem by Gorilla Hima, which I have stared at and translated. They do translate it in the show, but because it has a lot of, um, uh, and for those listening that don't know, I, I'm working on my PhD in Chinese studies, so I can read Chinese. And they they use something that I talk about in my essay that I'm going to read later is they use these things like Ru Kong to enter the void and Shu to be empty. And he's perverting these originally Buddhist ideas that are used by the Air Nation. And so I think his perversion of it actually doesn't make him spiritual. He's unlocked some spiritual powers, but he has done so with impurity. Um, and I think, you know, for example, when his girlfriend dies and he's like, oh, yay, now I have no attachments. I mean, that's not what the Air Nomads or what Buddhists are going for at all. It's not stop loving people and don't care if they die. That's So I feel like his perversion of it is actually a perversion of the spirituality, which is I have to th why I have to think that it was random. Because if it was based on pure spirituality, he wouldn't have gotten the air airbending powers. But that's my take on it, just because I feel like the, the pure freedom and pure non-attachment that the air nomads represent and that Guru Lahima represented were completely taken out of context and used to justify anarchy by Zahir. Oh okay, yeah, and and another another example of someone who got the air bending was Kai, right? That kid, the the, the thief. Yeah, <laughs> the thief kid. Yeah, Aladdin. Yeah, where was yeah. this lucky? I think that I I kind of wondered though because Kai did turn out to be a good kid. He just needed something to hold on to, and that was air you know air bending. Mm. Like he yeah. did become a better person because of finding a community. So mm -hmm. I kind of wonder also if these people who all got it were people that just needed a lot of them needed community. There was the kid who was in his mom's basement who didn't <laughs> do anything. There was the guy yeah. who he was like, I'm gonna stay here with my family, but it, he didn't seem like he was particularly happy he was like i gotta run the farm you know people that were kind of looking for something bigger in life seem to be the ones who got it steven's got a point i can tell I, I just had a thought about the way that they implemented the the return of airbending powers is another way that they are uh using multiculturalism to tell their story people are coming from all different walks of life are coming together to form this new community which is something that they've been doing with the show since the, since the start. So it might that might be a, a, a good reason why it was so random, so that there wasn't a, a predominant existing cultural point of view 
for them to come from to begin with. And they could come together and build a new culture that was that grew out of all the components of the people there. Yes, Tenzin was there to help guide them, but all of these people didn't become air monks um, and, and sort of take on the old way of the air nomads. Yeah, it's kind of a modern take on it, right? They do take some mm -hmm. of the teachings, but not necessarily the full-on lifestyle. Um, we also have Suin Beifang's daughter, who, I th if I remember right, her all of her brothers could earthbend, but she was a non-bender. So once again, someone who was kind of a little bit on the outside as well, um, a little bit, you know, uh, on the periphery and within their family. So I do kind mm -hmm. of see something similar to it, with all of these characters, um, but I it probably is just me trying to find a pattern. I want to. <laughs> I just really want I mean, to. I would like to go back to your point about Zahir's and his spirituality because the show kind of implies that he is m more spiritual than the average person. They have the scene in season four when Cora talks to him in the spirit world and he seems to have no problem accessing it. And then, of course, you have the moment when he unlocks his floating ability is the moment when his... Uh, I don't remember her name. Please. His, his sparky, sparky boom girlfriend. Plea. Oh, wait. Her name's Plea. Plea. That's yes. right. Plea. Uh, when she dies, that's the moment when he is able to uh, detach sparky, himself quite literally. Boom girlfriend. I'm sorry. I can't get over it. <laughs> Plea. And uh, yeah, because we have that same idea of non attachment is also present in the first well, show with, with yeah. Arm and Katara. So it is, the t you could argue that that is a teaching where. They do preach that the animals that you're not supposed to have these attachments to earthly things, including close, like romantic or personal relationships. Um, so, in a way, when he lost all of that, and that, and then him being able to fly, doesn't that kind of prove that that's the angle the animals are coming from, or at least that Guru Lahima came from? Yeah, but I, I do think that there is a contradiction which we see in the episode about opening the chakras where Aang goes, a couple of chakras ago you told me to keep on to the keep hold of the ones I love and remember their love and then now all of a sudden I have to let them go. I think there there appears to be a contradiction within the teachings. Um, yeah, three chakras ago that was a good thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the whole detachment thing that I at least I've been reading about in when I've been doing my yoga studying is it's, it's not detaching. It's not not caring. It's detaching yourself from the outcome. So you're not, you know, you can love, but like, if one day, what is it? Just, gosh, <laughs> I'm trying to think like, like he, so, so basically when Aang was having that, issue with his chakra and he knew that Katara was in danger and he couldn't detach himself from the outcome he had to interfere and go and save her that was him that was like the chakra blocking him not being like whatever happens happens I'm not gonna go interfere you know or I'm going to go interfere and save Katara, that's him attaching. Yeah, he had know? his Empire Strike Back cave moment. Yes. Well, so, so quite literally. In, in Buddhist teachings, it's detachment from desires, right? 
and detachment from greed and lust, right? But you can have a genuine love for someone that is not attached to them as, you know, as a, as a mortal being, basically. So it, yeah, the I guess show was, is obviously yeah. playing off of this Buddhist idea, but it's very murky and it is in Buddhism as well, even though it's like a central concept. Um, most Buddhist practitioners, including myself, have a hard time with the idea of detachment because you can take it too far, like I think Zahir does. Yeah. Um, and so I guess was... maybe it's it's the thing with uh, detaching in the sense that you can you can love people and stuff, but when you get to the point where you cannot live without them, that's when you like that's when they consider it to be attached. Or your love becomes conditional. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, and Zahir is a really excellent representation of this. There's this idea of freedom, which we all want. And then there's this, there's this freedom gone too far, which is anarchy. There is detachment, which we should all strive for. But then there's this caustic detachment that we can call, I guess, nihilism. Yeah. And which Zahir is also kind of a nihilist. And I think you're right. Like, Buddhism is also one of those religions, I think, outsider's perspective, uh, again, a uh, atheist, so take take it all with a grain of salt, but is, is Buddhism not uh, one of those uh, religious or spiritual teaching that, that emphasizes moderation? Yes, like absolutely. Like find, finding the middle path, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, the Buddha, it's, Buddhism is also called the middle path because Siddhartha Gautama, the, the original Buddha, he came from a rich family full of, of eating and drinking and extravagance. And then he saw these, these, um, these practitioners who were eating nothing and being so, you know, um, strict about it. And he said he wanted to start a middle way, which then became Buddhism. So it is about non, and there are these, um, the five mindfulness trainings, the fifth of them is the hardest for me because it is moderation in all things. And I like to drink. I like to eat. I've always had trouble with my weight, right? I just, I, I like to put everything in my mouth, consumption, overconsumption of sex, overconsumption of Aswav content. Like you can, you can apply it to anything. And that's, so that's one of it. And that's actually a very central teaching. So, so definitely Stephen is onto something and that the air nomads are about moderation, right? And the Fire Nation is the exact opposite of that. They want more, more power, more land, more subjects, um, you know, more fear and respect in yeah. the in the version in the form of fear. I think maybe it's like speaking about obsession obsession with the Song of Ice and Fire. Maybe detachment means you can love all the books. But you should be detached enough to not annoy George R. R. Martin on his Twitter about releasing the next one. And be mad if, like, if, if he, he God forbid, be. if he were Reach. to die or simply not finish it just because he doesn't want to. And you're right. mad at Yogi that? Yogi did it. He put it in perspective. That That's exactly good. what Buddhism will teach you is <laughs> love a song of ice and fire. Be glad for the books that you have. Don't be mad man. at the ones you don't have. <laughs> and suffering is also a part of this in Buddhist teachings is that you always ask if your, <laughs> if your karma, right, your action is causing suffering, preventing yeah. suffering or neutral. And that's how you right. move forward throughout the world. So, yeah. so I, yeah, so I was just even like, I just had my book out, like reading the law of, of detachment again, because it's, <laughs> it's more, yeah, it's more about you can want things you can have and it's you can have intentions and desires 
But for those to manifest, you have to detach yourself from the outcome. You can, you can make conscious choices that bring you to your goal, but you are detached from like failure, right? Because when you're too invested in something, it breeds fear and insecurity that you won't get it. So when you're detached from, you know, I'm going to, you know, do the steps that I need to do and that's what I can control, but whatever happens, happens and that's all I can do, that's detachment. For me, I saw Aang, Aang knew Katara was in danger. He didn't say, well, whatever happens, happens. He's like, I need to do something about this and leave. So that's kind of how I saw that one. But I did want to talk about the what happened with Ozai and their final battle because I got to have like a theory about it or Brian and I were talking earlier about it and we kind of came up with something that we thought fit, but I didn't know if you guys had like what you thought kind of happened there with the lion turtle and the, you know. I, think... I, I found it really, and I still yeah. do to this day, I find it really interesting timing that a, a creature that hadn't been seen for thousands of years pops up right when it needs him. I know it's spiritual world, hoodoo voodoo, but I'm like... <sighs> I don't know. I have a, like, I have a cynical. Kid, I was like, just kill the fire lord. <laughs> I have a cynical and I have a spiritual answer for that question. My cynical answer is that the makers of Avatar weren't allowed to kill anyone in their TV show for little kids. So they, again, it's spiritual gobbledygook. They had to make up some thing for the for him not to die. And then the spiritual explanation probably would would be that. Um, I mean, there is that thing about you know being non-violent and all that stuff. And it's actually another thing that we sh I'm not sure if we're going to get into it, but the thing with Avatar Yang Chen, who says that, yes, you know, that the Air Nomads teach detachment, but the Avatar can never do that because he is bound to the world. And that is also why she kind of told Ang, yeah, he has to kill the Fire Lord because he, can he has to sacrifice his own spiritual purity for the good of the, the world. So even, um, I think what kind of makes it work for me that he got a way around it was that even like the air nomad avatar told him to do it. So it, it, it was like this idea that, okay, everyone's telling him to do it. And, and then it was kind of like the universe stepping in being like, Hey, no, there is actually another way of not killing people because otherwise the message would have been sometimes you just got to kill people. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know? and also that's so it's kind of a good message for kids though, who talked to him about the chakra where he was like, you are the avatar. You can't be attached. And then Yang Chun is like, you have to be attached because you serve the world. Don't, yeah. Weren't they kind of bumping up against each other? I mean, maybe Guru Patik is just wrong. Well, I, 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 I actually kind of wondered that because the, all of the gurus, you know, maybe he is in this long line of gurus, but it has been such a long time. I'm like, Patik, are you like reading scrolls? Where are you getting this? Yeah. Who well, are no. you? Who, who yeah, did so, you come from? So Yang Chen says to protect the world, you have to give up your who you are your spiritual needs yeah yeah your spiritual says. which is who that's who ang is like ang that's him like his his true self right when we like when we talk about it in meditation and buddhism your your true self is not like your ego is who you're showing to the world your ego is your uh 
willingness to please everybody, right? Everybody's telling you that to kill Ozai, you have to kill Ozai, you have to do this to save the world. Even Yang Chen is telling him this, this, you know, godly air nomad avatar is telling him this. Everyone's telling him this. And, but it's not who he is, right? It's not him being true to Aang. So for me, I think the chakra gets unblocked when he, when he gets zapped by the lightning and he redirects it and doesn't hit Ozai. To me, that's when the chakra gets unblocked because he one stayed true to himself and his ideals and two he um sorry one he stayed true to who he was and his ideals and two he said i will not sacrifice who i am and i am now detached from the outcome like i will i i will die but i will die not sacrificing who I am to kill, you know, to win. And Yangchun's point about you have to give up your own spiritual needs is actually a direct reference to being a bodhisattva, which is an enlightened being who does not exit the cycle of rebirth, but stays and is reborn in the earth so that they can help people, which is the yeah. avatar. The Dalai Lama is an example of a bodhisattva, and there are a bajillion mm-hmm. others in uh in buddhist teachings but so she's telling him you won't get to in she achieve the enlightenment that the air nomads taught you about because you are the avatar which is why i think non-attachment doesn't work for him because he has to love the world in order to save it is basically kind of where i see and he also has to be the bridge between the spiritual realm and the earthly realm he can't be so up in the air spiritual that he doesn't have his literally have his feet on the ground in the yeah. earthly world. well he can't fly so i don't think any <laughs> <laughs> yeah but isn't that then doesn't that mean in his end he kind of gets his eight uh, gets his cake and gets to eat it too because he doesn't sacrifice his his spiritual needs but he still defeats the fire lord so there is yeah. kind of a different way so i i wonder uh you could probably talk and think about this for a long time. I'm just curious, like, if we assume that the lion turtles are some kind of higher spiritual power, similar to gods in, in I shouldn't say our world, <laughs> but, you know, the idea that there's this higher being, um, did they just, like, look at this situation and were like, okay, I guess we, we'll tell him about the energy bending. We never told any other avatar about it. But to be fair, like the fire notion thing, it's kind of a unique threat. Like no other avatar, I yeah. think, are not that well, you know, read in the law. I don't think any other avatar ever had to deal with this kind of threat. Where it was literally like the fate of the mm-hmm. world. So maybe, maybe the lion turtles were just like, okay, okay, we're getting. We're you get you could also see the taking away of bending as representative of the middle way of Buddhism, right? Rather than killing and then rather than just kind of locking him up, but as a bender where he can hurt people still right you do yeah. a middle way where he can live but he is not going to be able to do the kind of harm that he can as he uses firebending well i thought it was interesting like how because you know before you jumped off the lion turtle and you got the bending and then you get back on and they take it away so i i like the idea of them being able to like teach the takeaway to somebody like oh yeah i can like teach you firebending oh i can teach you how we take it away as well i just i thought that was interesting it was definitely surprising though and i i i don't know i i 
I liked it. I thought it was satisfying. It was convenient, but it was also satisfying. Yeah, in a way they 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 pulled it off well enough to yeah. when I was watching it as a kid, even though I didn't get it, I didn't feel like I was cheated out of anything. Like I wasn't a very bloodthirsty kid. I wasn't there like kill him, kill him. Um yeah. it just sort of like when it happened, it happened, and I was like, Oh, that's that's cool, that's cool. Um, but as I got older and I knew about the background and I, I realized that obviously it's a kid's show, they can't kill well, they killed Jet, but they can't have the main protagonist. Murder oh my god, they, they they actually referenced um, that in the third season when they had the play, and they're like, "Did they just kill Chet?" And they're like, "You know, it wasn't really clear." And I was, was like, a, "I love when they really do like, that meta commentary." Yeah, so but they, they I'm sorry, have Aang, Aang has like, killed just... people though. Aang has yeah. killed people. I don't think, think that that wave. You don't think that that wave at the end of season that wasn't him anybody? though. He was taken over by the spirit of the ocean. By, like by he didn't make that. kill people. There was a point where there is a war balloon flying along, and Aang cuts the top off of it and the whole thing falls those guys are dead yes i was gonna say he is parachute steven what whatever the the air temple they went to to with the kid in the flyer and then those people come with the balloons like ain't killed people there yeah, I do think there is a bit of a hole. Those we found a plot hole in the children's <laughs> show. Good fine. job, panel. But yeah, no, I'm just saying that the, he it definitely killed people. But yeah, he's not completely it. nonviolent. And and I think that <laughs> what I find interesting is that the Air Nomad, it, it, whenever it does go around, the cycle of rebirth does go around to the Air Nomads. They are going to be more. That avatar is automatically going to be more spiritually inclined, but they're also going to have a harder time with the kind of martial acts aspects of being the avatar but ang totally kicked butt and killed people at the same time he is it's like uh the video games i play i'm like no they're just knocked out it's a ko see i haven't it's, murdered it's, thousands it's different like dropping a slime bomb or something on people is different from literally standing there and whoosh, like bringing a an element spiral and crushing the the fire lord to death. Toph wrapped in metal and punching a guy so hard he goes flying through the door. Yeah, he did. He, he landed in. Dude. Yeah. Okay. So, but here's my thing about the one. Maybe not. I don't, I don't want to say last thing. Uh, you can make more points if you want. But like, no, you'll is, be shutting it down. Yeah, I'm shutting it down. No, if uh, if the people who say it was a Deus ex machina thing and that it was stupid and that he should have killed him. That I disagree with. I don't think it would have been better if Aang had just killed the Fire Lord and then the thing would have been solved. Uh, I don't think it would have been... Uh, because to have that 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 uh, thing where he has this pacifism, and yes, you can say that he's killed people before. One time he was a giant fish monster that was being possessed by the ocean spirit. Other times he was like vaguely doing things that may or may not have killed people, but to like specifically murder a specific person with the goal in mind of killing them is is different like he came to ozai to kill him it wasn't any kind of defense like it was when he was in the air temple defending it from the, the fire I think people it would have been a, i just would have found it more satisfying I, I mean i love the third season i love the show in general not a big fan of the blue sky beam at the end um it's a little dragon turtle ex machina you know delivered right there it at is. the end that we haven't really had any build up to i, I would have found it the end to be more satisfying if Ozai had done something to cripple himself in the fight. Um, oh, he tried to to Sorry. handle too much energy and blew his own hands off or something. Give me that ending. He can't bend anymore. The outcome is kind of the same. Um, and so Aang you, has. You would have liked then evil defeats itself, Lord of the Rings yes, kind of approach. I really would have. 
That would have been that would have been kind of that kind of like been... with Azula when she because she is so yeah. into defeating Katara, Katara is able to trick her with the uh, the the kind yeah. of water that's running under the grate, and then she and then all of a sudden you see her like Rah! and flashing around like that's so Azula and that's perfect. And I think yeah. Stephen is right that Ozai could have had a similar ending where his his kind of aggression worked against him. Yeah, but um, I mean, it's actually when I was a kid and I was watching the. Uh, the first time I watched the, sh the show in sequence and I came to the last episode, it was the first time I actually saw the last episode and I saw the fight between when the, the moment when Azula does the lightning thing to hit Katara, I thought she was so like weird and crazy and out of balance that she was going to like zap herself and kill herself. That's how I thought she was going to go out. And I kind of think that would have been kind of better than just having her be frozen and arrested, but that's also good. Um <laughs> Uh, so I think I, I, we also have to cut the writers some leeway in the fact that that they had no choice; they could not have killed Ozai; it, they weren't allowed. Um, so for what they did with it, I think it, it's good. I have never had like a problem with it. Where where like I think it's a very satisfying conclusion to the show. Um, could have been better, yeah. But if he had just killed him, I don't think it would have been made it that much better. It's just like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For like, what do you then think about Amon being able to do it? Like, I understand the lion turtle be doing giving it to the Avatar because he can trust the Avatar. But then in Korra, there's this guy who could do it with bloodbending, and I'm like, wait, I'm so not, I'm not people the could have biggest... done it the whole time? What is happening? I'm not the biggest Legend of Korra fan in the world <laughs> uh, for precisely things like the Airbender, Gobbledygook, spiritual stuff, the Amon. Like, because they did that thing that they never did in Avatar, which was they did things for the plot yeah, and they just sort of like didn't bother to explain it because they knew it didn't make sense so they were like okay we have this mystery the guy he can stop people from bending through a special type of blood mag magic how does he do that yeah i don't know uh, i assume it, it's something about blocking the chakras or something that he does but um yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that. I think it sort of yeah. kind of takes away from the whole lion turtle spirit. Yeah. Well, isn't there interference? The, well, there is like the chi blocking, right? That Ty Lee does. Yeah, maybe it's just a more so, extreme version of that. Yeah. Where it's like permanent. Kind of... Well, since he's a well, blood since he's a bloodbender, there is this idea in, in Chinese traditional thought that the blood is the chi because it flows throughout your body. It's the energy that flows. So if he's able to like uh, then wouldn't they die if he's blocking the flow of their blood? There I have so many questions. Yeah. Well, oh gosh, I don't even want to add to it, but it's like, how did Cor how could Cora like give it back? She's like, okay, so I'm gonna give back your uh, wait, what what is this one's an Earthbender? Okay, <laughs> like, I'll give that back. I guess maybe she's like unblocking. Yeah, it also that, like didn't make the consequences feel permanent when she was able to just give it back. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, know, I feel I like taking crying, away though. is not the same thing as giving <laughs> back. You know, that is a way worse Deus Ex Machina Ang showing up at the end of the first season and giving Cora her bending back. Because that did come more out of nowhere than the lion turtle. Because that one at least was. Well, yeah, it was like episode. it was like okay, are you just gonna have a line and be like, okay, we've got Earthbenders, <laughs> like number yeah, get, thirty-two yeah. back. Get your bending okay. back, everyone. Oh my god, it's like stay like waiting at the DMV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, everyone just got it back. It's Lynn, just, you're you're a yeah. metal bender, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I maybe they, maybe just... they had to go through some kind of bending physical therapy where they had to relearn it. I don't oh God, know. Like the acupuncture. Probably not. 
That's when I was yes. so bored when they were in uh, the metal bending city for so long and she's getting acupuncture <sighs> and I'm just like, oh my God. I don't, wanna, I don't want this to turn into a shitting on Legend of Korra stream. <laughs> no, I There's a lot of I stuff really in Legend street. of Korra where I'm just no, like, oh. I know. And I think Korra gets to like more shit than she should for a lot of stuff. I mean, so Korra I'm as a character definitely does. With the show, I can understand when people really don't like it. I understand people who really like it. Like, it's not like it's not good. There's a lot of good in it. It's just it never really worked for me. I'm such I a love the Red Lotus. fan that I, I like the, the aesthetic. So, the yeah, and the Red Lotus, the aesthetic yeah. Is the, really Zaheer, good. The, the Zaheer kind of storyline was the best of all four seasons. Yeah, uh, I like that Although I did kind too. of like the the last bad, big bad. It was just a woman who, you know, Kuhira. kind of got a little bit imperialist. Um, Kavira, that one was yeah. also good, yeah. Um, the second season is rough, and the yeah, first season hit on this. Yeah, I, I think love I like the Spirit the World episode though. The like the original, you know, Avatar, but it yeah, got yeah, it was messy. Yeah, yeah. The, actually, I'm one of the most minority. I'm in a minority of people. I don't even like those beginnings episodes from season two. I don't think I don't like the origin story for where the Avatar came from and how it works. I wish they would have kept it more vague i don't like the explanation that they came up with i don't feel like it needed one but that's once just... again it's more aesthetic for me the way that in in the past with Juan, whenever like the 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 animation of the bending was like looked like old scrolls old chinese painting with like it the, did look pretty the, cool the fire looked like clouds in chinese painting so i liked the aesthetic of cora i thought that the writing was not that great and i think just the way that they they would kind of angle a character and push them down a path got really awkward and the fact that they like la very like as a queer woman the last five minutes of the last episode being like hey there's a queer relationship not great not great we needed build up uh obviously yeah they I I'm sure that they had their hands tied with Nickelodeon though oh yeah I'll give them that and also I just I think that they were they were kind of um that they were just they had fewer episodes and then they were only guaranteed like they didn't know that they would do a next season until they'd already written one so they were written as like four completely like separate seasons i thought amon could have lasted you know been a villain for more than one season so it was interesting to kind of get like a the dichotomy of it where avatar was a three season like very planned arc where you had a bunch of episodes so you could have these kind of like filler-ish episodes but they were still fun and like character development yeah. along with the main ones whereas like Korra you had to you had limited number of episodes per season and you had to have a beginning and an end for each season which yeah, I thought limited them and the, yeah, and the filler lot. episodes in yeah. Last Airbender were always gorgeous like the yeah. Tales of Bossing Say is yeah. my favorite episode of of season two where we see um oh my god it, i'm gonna tear up thinking about it but iroh uh you know <laughs> oh, celebrating don't, don't. his, his the son's birthday his, his, his posthumously oh. i just like why yeah i mean yeah that's true Wait, it should be said that for no stop it don't do it Steven. don't do <laughs> no, it i think the thing with legend of Korra is that the studio screwed them over big time multiple times mm -hmm. like they wouldn't give tell them if they were going to get another season they would cut their budget last minute that's the reason for that horrible clip show episode that they did in the the final oh. season because they were just like hey by the way we're going to cut your budget so you only have enough for nine instead of ten hey, I'm oh. 
oh, is that the oh, one where oh, they're oh, like, oh, yeah, is, that the, is that the one where they were talking to uh, Mako about his relationship? Oh God! No, it it's was, like the one where, where they're like little, like where they're little circles. Yeah, like, yeah. Hi, I'm Mako. Yeah. Oh God! I Honestly, oh, even though yeah. I have to say, the last bit of that episode where it's uh, Varric telling his like distorted version of events <laughs> that was, that was funny. really funny why didn't they just make that the whole episode julie do the thing then it would have julie. been similar to the to the the avatar recap episode which was genius which was the one with the, the ember island players yeah so I if they had say... just had varic like reenact yeah. all of it that would have been per- i would have been perfectly fine with that but that, it was not not great but again not the writer's fault they had, they had great characters though they had great characters i love tenzin i love bolin yep yep, yep. a lot they're they're Bolin is my favorite. I love. Don't Bolin. forget Pabu, the best little fire fairy in the oh. whole world. Um, I, so I love that. I love that he got lava bending, even though I love that too. Even though he couldn't do metal bending. Um. So let's go ahead and talk. Yes. Getting back to air bending, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about specific airbender, uh, characters. Let's go ahead and start with Aang, the alleged last airbender. Um, alleged. <laughs> alleged. Sorry, you look like you've got something to say, Stephen. Oh, I always got something to say, but like, by all means, anybody else can go first. Uh, for the record, I'm the straight white man here. I'm the last one that should be being heard from. So I'll I'll take my turn at the end. <laughs> Yogi, oh, tell us your, uh, you want to tell us your thoughts about Aang? Aang? Yeah. Oh, I know it's I mean, a big question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my thoughts about Aang, I think he is, uh, he's one of my favorite characters of any TV show ever. Um, He's, I think he's a brilliant protagonist because the, he, they balance that uh, naivete with the wisdom really well. Like he's somehow incredibly childish and impatient and, and all that and goofy, but also this like wise. <laughs> it's really funny, but they never made it seem contradictory, which I really liked. And then another point that I raised earlier, the one that he had friends all over the world. Uh, and they're sort of like that he really... Um, lived all of the teachings from his culture um and and stuff but never like forced them on other people i think he, he I, th- I just think he's a great role model i think him as a character and avatar as a whole has con- contributed to a lot of young people being like really woke and, <laughs> woke and spiritual because they were just such great uh really great examples to live by and i know i really liked him i think he has a great arc where he doesn't have to sacrifice like his chorus beliefs but he still grows as a person and, and learns new things all that stuff. Uh, I don't really have anything negative to say, of course. Um, so, yeah. That's my opinion. <laughs> I kind of that like was... the guilt that he expresses about having been gone for a hundred years. Like, it, it's kind of sprinkled throughout all seasons. And um, especially in season three, when everyone thinks he's dead again. And I think that the, the responsibility that's on this kid is just, it's a huge burden. And I think that he really feels that deeply in his soul. And I think to be so young and to have that, you know, um, Monkiazzo said, you know, they made a mistake not telling you until you were 16, right? Being the difference between 12 and 16 is very big. And yet he is able to take on this responsibility. Um, What do you think about our main protagonist, Christina? I mean, you guys said it so beautifully, but I, yeah, I love his arc. I love that. I'm just going to copy Joji. <laughs> he said it perfectly, but I, yeah, I love that he, he's, I, and I think his spirituality, I love how connected he is with it and that 
he, um, I love that he had challenges. Like he wasn't, he was obviously an amazing airbender, but he had so many challenges with the other elements and learning them. And he was in this just monumental situation, but he was able to, you know, use his relationships um, with his friends to learn, to grow, to, but also stay true to who he was and his culture and what he I'm I'm afraid we lost Christina and she was making excellent points. Um, yeah. So but tragic. until she comes back, Stephen, did you want to go ahead and oh, give us she... oh, oh 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 she's, she's back. back. All right. It's like hey. It says my internet connection's unstable. I, I was in the middle of something, but you're in the middle way, of, such a of good the point beautiful too. thoughts. And so it's right when it was getting interesting, especially. I know. It was like, oops, I just froze in the ice cube. It looked Sorry. like you were, you were, it, I couldn't tell you were frozen because you look so thoughtful. I thought you were just really searching for the words. Yeah, I, I, I too, I, me too. I thought you were just like oh. trying Pensive. to gather your thoughts. And I was like, okay, she's taking her time, but it's going to be a really good point. And so I, I was like, on the edge of my seat, I was like, I think I was we yeah, it's, like, it's like a tower. Well, just he like, stayed whoosh. true <laughs> to who he was and through his friendships, you know, he. Oh, no. Not again. <laughs> <laughs> why sorry listeners it seems christina is having difficulty uh i think i think zoom agrees with with her zoom is like I you okay you've made a beautiful point we're we're yeah. cutting you off there uh steven go ahead and oh, oh my no, gosh wait no no Stephen, oh, why, why don't you give uh, no, her internet some time already. to recover well okay i'll just throw my thoughts out there then they yogi and christina have both made excellent points and I agree with them 100%. The only thing I would add is that- You know what, it's it's fun. Okay. <laughs> um, the only thing I would add is that Aang is, as he is written as a chosen one type of character, but because of the way he is portrayed with his personality, his sense of humor, his optimism, he is, and you know, he's a kid and whatnot. He is one of the most relatable chosen one characters ever written. So he comes off beautifully for that reason. A lot of times when you have sort of a, a show with an ensemble cast, the title character is not the most interesting one. You know, I think of something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, I like the character of Buffy, but the characters around her are more interesting for the most part. Aang, that doesn't happen to Aang in his own show, you know. He's not my favorite character in the whole of the series. That probably belongs to like Toph or Sokka or Zuko, but he's still incredibly fun and relatable and just interesting to watch. So I, I love that little kid. I really do. Christina, I think you're back with us. Did you want to finish up your thoughts? Thanks, Stephen, for, uh, for, for subbing in. <laughs> I was going to say Fire Lord Sozin, I was talking good things about Aang and how he would be, how he is remembered as one of the great avatars. Um, and he interrupted my connection. So it's damn I must be in the Fire Lord. Nation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually. It's, it's, it's my little puppy Zuko. He's, Zuka, he's like, hey, wait a Zooks. He's messing up. Oh, messing Zooks. Wi-Fi. Um, I do think actually Justina makes a great point about 
uh, Aang as well is that Republic City is his legacy. You know, they have that statue of him and he tried to build something better with his friends. And they even mention in Korra that Zuko became his best friend. So it was, he worked with the Fire Lord of his previous enemy, right? To rebuild something new. And I, it just takes someone special like Aang to even fathom that that's possible, much less make it happen. And I think that's what's really fascinating about his character to me um, is that he is a dreamer and, but some he is also at times in the show realistic too about what is possible and I think it, it kind of takes both to be an inspiring figure um, so uh, Christina do you have any more thoughts on Aang before we move on to a couple of other characters no, no. <laughs> you're good all right let's so let's talk about his family about um Ten, you know, his kids, Tenzin, and then of course his grandchildren, specifically my girl Janora. Um, I yes. love that girl. I just when she got her tattoos, I that's the one part of Korra that I cry every single time. When she gets the tattoos and they're like bending the smoke of the incense, and she they call her Master Janora. I'm like, ah, I can't. I'm tearing oh. up. But she did you even know it so did, hard? Well, did you know that she um <laughs> She, she usurped Aang as the youngest master ever. She was oh, 11 I did not know and that. he was 12. Yeah. I thought oh, that was... that's, it makes her even more awesome. Yes. No, um, so yeah, so, so we have amazing. his, uh, what, what I also like about her is that she's kind of a bit of a foil to her dad, Tenzin, because he knows all of the teachings and is a good airbender and all of that, but can't quite make it as far as the spiritualism. And then she is kind of, what he wanted to become essentially it's like you want your children to be what you wanted to be kind of and and she or be better than you and i think janora is the a perfect example of that yeah i think the thing about tenzin that i think is interesting is that he's very much like his father ang in in that he has an immense responsibility from birth that he didn't choose which uh, for ang it was being the avatar and destined to stopping you know fire hitler and uh, for Tenzin, it's that he is like one of the only airbenders and has to like restart or repopulate that entire culture. You know, this entire imagine being being like one of the four people in the entire world who are part of this of this group of people, and to uphold that. So he does know all the spiritual teachings, and he passes it on to his kids and all that, but. He, because of that pressure, he, unlike Aang, who sort of like used his more humorous side and his his happy-go-luckiness, and he goofed around a lot, in, in part to just forget about that responsibility for a couple of minutes. Whereas Tenzin, because he's an adult, he can't really step into that childishness and just forget about this responsibility. So he's a very like humorless, stern person. Um, just because he never got to figure out his thing when he was a kid. So he just carried it with him when he was an adult. So he's like a less emotionally balanced version of, of his dad, which is interesting, I think. We also have to give kudos to Pema. She's actually the one repopulating the culture. She's oh, yeah. <laughs> literally birthing the next generation of airbenders. You go, girl. Man, when she married him, she sure signed up for something. Woo. Oh, my. I know, and I feel like, I mean, I know... I don't know. I feel like part of him choosing her was like, oh, probably more, you know, if I, if I'm with Lynn, I'm not like, we could have earthbender, you know, children. 
which wouldn't be good. And also Pema, because her being an air acolyte, like I said earlier, makes me think that you're more apt to have airbending children. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, technically, if Tenzin like really wanted to repopulate, he could have just, you know. Uh... Could have been like Garth Greenhand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't want to say see. it, but... <laughs> It's I so think not he, Tenzin, I think though. he wanted a partner that would four. take the solemn responsibility on with him, and Lin was not that person. Do, yeah. do air nomads believe in uh, mono monogamy? Well, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Before, they'd meet each other up at the party, and then they'd go, and then, you know, oh, we're pregnant. Well, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Because they had, like, the collective raising, right, of children. Yeah, but so, so what technically, if, if they Tenzin have the big... should have been impregnating all those air acolyte women. <laughs> <laughs> what if they have and the big love fest? And then, I mean, like, that's the best the... way to do it, honestly. Like, if you're gonna in be... a way, yeah, just just it's not, but it's not who Tenzin is. Yeah, have sex Tenzin's for the cause, Tenzin. Do it yeah. for the do, do it, it for the animation. Think of England. <laughs> yeah, well, Milo. Think I think Milo might. Who knows? I feel like Milo's. If he turns out to be to like women, he's gonna be a ladies' man. Well, so. if there's any way, well now, well now we don't have to worry because the Airbenders magically got. Yeah, yeah the, so I guess yeah, we don't have to worry. Hobbly gobbly fix that. Yeah. yeah, I always, I always kind of felt that uh, Tenzin's kids were like, if you if you took Ang and split him into three different people, you'd get <laughs> those three, because um, like Milo has like the the chaotic energy, and and Denora is, is spiritual and perfect and all that and. I don't remember the, the middle one's name. Iki. 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 And she's just kind of like, I don't know what part of Aang's personality she would necessarily. She has, she's like his FOMO. She's constantly like, why can't I do this with you? Why can't I do that with you? You know what I'm saying? Like, like his, his playfulness to want to ride all of the beasts because he doesn't want to like be yeah. left out. That's Iki. It's also, she also reminds me of uh, when she, when they get, uh, when, when her and her siblings get uh taken by those two guys oh my and, god that's such a funny and scene. she sat she sasses the the people it's the same way when ang gets arrested by the fire nation in the first episode and he's like i could take you both with my hands behind my back that's kind of like what, <laughs> that's what... Probably yeah say. and when iki was there like she was tied up and she was talking to them and like being really nice and they're like mm -hmm. you know what iki i'm sure you're an important part of the team and she takes out her arms and she's not <laughs> bounding where she's like you really think <laughs> so guys like that's yeah. so ang it's like when ang is in prison and he's in that thing <laughs> yeah and then called? he like takes his head out and he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or when he's in he does that twice he also does that when they're in the fire the fire uh, the the earth king's palace Yes. And he has the, the the earth cuffs, and he just goes like, "I'm over here." And he pulls them back on. <laughs> the, the only thing I will say about Tenzin and his children that I haven't, you know, that hasn't already been said, is, the, and again, this we're looking at. I'm looking at this through the lens of Dungeons and Dragons. Aang is chaotic good. He's kind of the embodiment of chaotic good in a lot of ways. Tenzin is like lawful good. He has all the same beliefs, but he is so concerned about... Aang follows the tenants, and he follows them like they mean as much to him as anything else, but he doesn't let the sort of meta-narrative of, I'm a pacifist. Tenzin would, would be the person that would never fight anything if he chose to latch onto that pacifism aspect. Like, he is an incomplete airbender because of 
Oh, hold on. Seems like, yeah, Stephen has some, possibly some fathering to do. Um, Dart, I was really interested in that incomplete Arbender point. Um, I think he, <laughs> I, I hope he was talking, he might be talking about the lack of spiritualism within Tenzin. Well, yeah, I thought Tenzin had an inability to let go. Like he, yeah. he was attached to outcomes, right? He's attached to rebuilding the air nation. He's attached to his goals. Like, but, oh, here we go. Oh, there he's back. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, my uh, space got invaded uh, unexpectedly. I live in a house with other people. It happens sometimes. Um, I can't even remember what I was saying. You I'm were sorry. saying Tenzin was an incomplete airbender? Yes, he's an incomplete airbender. And I think you're right, largely because it's he he lacks the, the spirituality that is associated with it. Like, he's, tr he's trying to follow the rules of being an airbender. Whereas the rule, the rules of being an airbender are there to help to help an airbender achieve that enlightenment, because it leads you to being a person that believes in these things. Whereas Tenzin, and I'm sure he believes in them, but like he is, he is so concerned with the with the following of the rules, with the doing it this one way, which is actually not a very airbender way of looking at the world. They're always looking for that. The way around the 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 path of least resistance, or the the, which is why, Ang had such a hard time with earth bending when he was trying to learn it, because he. He, thinks around his problems. He doesn't think straight through them necessarily until, you know, he takes a few lessons from Toph. Tenzin, on the other hand. You know, he thinks things around because he's been taught the rule is you think your way around these things. But I don't know that it's part of his core personality to be that way. Yeah, and I also wonder if Tenzin thinks about the why of these rules. Like he just, you just follow them, right? And for me, I find rules much easier to follow if there's a really good reason, like safety or, <laughs> you know, it, you know, some, it would um, be, it would hurt someone's feelings, you know, whatever, like a reason that you wouldn't do something or that you should do something. And for me, especially when I was a kid, whenever I asked why an adult couldn't give me a reason why I kind of just disregarded it because I thought it's just because they want me, they just don't want me to do this thing or they do want me to do this thing. If they don't have a reason, then I kind of disregarded it. And I feel like Tenzin would have been that kid who didn't even ask why he just did it. Yeah. Or didn't do it. I like Tenzin a lot because he he's a great role model and he's a great mentor to people. And like, you know, with Cora, like a mentor slash father figure, even, you know, with his kids, he's a great father. He's a great guide and he um, he's just a good person. And he's got a lot of great advice and wisdom and his heart's in the right place. But throughout the series, you see him grow and be taken out of his comfort zone so many times and forced to grow and forced to, you know, acknowledge, you know, like acknowledging that his daughter is the master, even though, you know, he's she's young and he's her dad blah 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 but like he he does grow he he's not you know as rigid as he can be he's not he he will change you know he saw Cora in 
you know, even in the first season when he saw Cora was having fun in the uh, whatever the arena with the fire ferrets. Oh, the pro bending. Yeah, with the pro bending. You know, at first he's like, "What are you doing?" Blah blah blah, and then you know he he he's able to adapt. Also, with I liked about him, kind of changes the way he sees his brother. Yeah. So he does do a lot of growth, which I liked about him because he started off as still like a great mentor, but he did allow himself, you know, mostly through experience to grow and how he was able to save, um, was it Janora from the spirit world? Yeah, Janora was. Yeah, because Janora and um, Cora went in and then she got, she was stuck and then him being able to save her oh god made me want to cry <laughs> if I how did he do that again he like he had to go god, into the fog yeah the the fog of lost souls yeah so yeah. Tenzin's ability to do I don't he, he grew he's, so he's much like a, he's also like a that shows him really as a, a beacon right yeah. For people to be drawn to because he was able to go through the fog of lost souls and find his daughter and save her because he yeah. was able to be this kind of shining light. Mm-hmm. If I can get metaphorical for a moment, Tenzin is like that room that is like a room that has been sealed off. There's air inside there, but you know, if, if you walked into a room that had been sealed for 20 years, you would say that the air in there is stale. And then we also have this sort of concept in our language of a breath of fresh air and being a thing that um, that will invigorate you. Tenzin starts off as stale air, gets his breath of fresh air in the form of Korra, and he is a, and as you say, Christina, he, he grows and changes so much from that, from being forced to, to get, to, to change up his way of thinking about things because stale air is still air. It's sitting still. It's not circulating. And the way Tenzin has been so detached, living on Avatar Island, living only with these uh, air acolytes, he is not mixing his air with the air of the rest of the world, and he becomes stale. But through watching Korra interact with the pro-bending circuit and, you know, getting back out there and meeting up with, like, Lin Beifong and all of that, he does sort of like reintegrate and he becomes a more complete person by not being separated, but but by being a part of the larger Republic city culture. I like that. Yeah, and it, I think that he also, what's interesting is that like we were talking about, Aang had this great weight of responsibility but not only did Tenzin have this responsibility as a father, but also as a, you know, one of the last airbenders. And then on top of that, he was a part of the council of Republic City. So he also has this political position that uh, is very important, especially because it seems like the other counselors are kind of yes men. <laughs> they, they, they seem a little bit unthinking. He's really the only one to ever... Um, you know, object against something. Uh, the yeah. others just seem to kind of and teaching away. the avatar airbending on top yeah, of that. Yeah, he's, he's got a lot on his. He's got a lot on his plate. So let's go ahead and talk about a little bit about um, Yang Chun, and then maybe Zaheer, and then whatever else you guys want to do as far as 
um, closing remarks, and then I'll read my essay and bring you guys back to uh, thank you for coming on the panel. So Christina knows the most about Yang Chun because she's she's read these novels. Um, yes. We, well, we, I think we, we, went, we went through, yeah, we went through a lot of it already, but I just, I thought it was interesting uh, with her that she was, so in the Kiyoshi novels, it's like, she said it, drink. <laughs> I know, it's not, I know, I was gonna say I shouldn't drink whenever I say it in the Kiyoshi novels, but um, it's, everybody everybody just idolizes her especially <laughs> Kurik's just seen as a failure so when Kiyoshi realizes that she's the avatar and even before then she like everybody worships her so everybody worships is see I say Yang Chen but I'm saying it wrong then it's technically Yang Chen but you Yang don't Chen? have to worry okay. about it yeah I'm sorry you, you uh, just, like they say it on the show Yang which is Yang Chen Yang, okay they say it on the show is that right okay yeah Right. It's it's. I'm gonna always do the the Chinese pronunciation, but my guests can do can do. You can yeah. call her Sparky Sparky yeah. Boom Air Lady. I'd really. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I mean, technically, yeah, the show Avatar. one's the correct pronunciation. So. All right. You... So Yang Chen. So what she she is best known as bring. So she brings a great era. Wait, I'm sorry. Piece. Did you say the, the? I'm sorry. Did you say Yogi? Did you say the 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 show is the correct pronunciation? Yes. I Yang mean, Chun is her name. It is Chinese. I'm sorry, I will die. No, but the her name is not, it's not in the show. It is like it's in the world of Avatar. That's how it's pronounced because that's what people call it. That's what she herself pronounces it as. So that's well, yeah, how, because that's, they have Western voice actors. I'm sorry, Christina. Go ahead. <laughs> that's a different. I will episode. mute you. Yoshi. Next episode. <laughs> anyway, so she she brokers a deal of peace with the spirits, and um that's kind of why she's seen as this just kind of she's like a godly figure and the, the people in the earth nation worship her uh they you know they have statues and they go and pray at their statues and that's and that's a lot of why and she was also like great pr for the air nomads she's why that air nomads are seen as good luck because when yang chen comes like good things happen to you and she was able to negotiate with the spirits and so she ended up leaving a mess for Kurik because she made a deal with the spirits essentially saying that she she said to the spirits the spirits were mad at the people and she said well I'll make sure that my people don't mess up this land don't you know take too many resources and pollute this area and you leave us in peace. And the people, of course, did not do that. And so when Yang Chen died, all of this, the people, you know, weren't holding up their end of the bargain. And the spirits were like, well, we've held up our end of the bargain. So that's why the spirits came and Kurok was left to deal with this mess. And then he eventually died. So Yang Chen comes to Kiyoshi and tells her that um basically just saying like yes I messed up and that's you know it, you've kind of got to help clean up as well she also to told Kiyoshi um so Kiyoshi actually took one of the toys which was like a cute thing um when they did the toy test in the earth nation Kiyoshi actually she was the orphan and she went in and they didn't think it was her but she ended up stealing the clay turtle 
And so Yang Chen told her to put it back, <laughs> which was cute. But um, no, she, she's an interesting figure. She actually, she doesn't ever, she was the only one, I think, who talked to Aang who didn't kind of say anything about what they messed up as. And then she did for Kiyoshi. But um, yeah, she, she definitely brought a lot of goodwill to the Air Nation and the Air Nomads and kind of, you know, positive PR um, that, you know, lasted for a very long time. But I, I suppose if you just take the fact that Kiyoshi lived for like 200 and something years, that, you know, for the Air Nation to, for the, you know, when the genocide happened afterwards, it was, I, I suppose it was, um, they must not have worshipped you know the the air nomad or the air people weren't seen as like good luck anymore <laughs> obviously but yeah she's a very interesting character i really honestly don't know enough to add anything to that i i don't know much either i i just always appreciate when we do get the female avatars you know with kyoshi and then when we do what we do see of Yangshan and the kind of the, the lion turtle episode before he in goes to fight um, the uh, fire lord, you know, she he he thinks, oh, I'll right. We talked about this earlier. I'll find an air nomad and they'll tell me that nonviolence is the way. I found her kind of her instruction to him to be very thoughtful of him knowing that he had these that this was their culture but also emphasizing his responsibility as the avatar which is something that i think all avatars have to deal with that they want to embody their culture but they also want to understand that they represent all four nations and not just one and that's something that iroh when he was talking to zuko about trying to get him to learn lightning bending he was saying that all it's illusion it's illusory right it's an illusion that all four are separate they're actually all together which is also a very um buddhist concept of the illusion of of um separation right which is also one of the chakras the illusion of separation so i think that yangchun kind of understood these higher spiritual aspects but understood that they did not necessarily apply to her when she was avatar or to any other avatar um Yogi, did you have anything to say about Yang Chun? Um, no, really, only also that uh, her, her one appearance in the show uh, I always found very memorable because her advice was definitely the best out of all of the people that showed up. So, and I also I always wanted to know as a kid how uh, what female <laughs> air nomads looked like because my like little seven year old brain was like well women can't shave their head <laughs> they have long beautiful hair but then it was like she had like the half she had like uh, she was like half bald but also and i was like oh that's it i finally finally answered that yeah <laughs> i didn't comprehend all of the, of all of her spiritual points i think when i was a kid but i remember her just because i was so curious what what they looked like <laughs> yeah um yeah. so let's go ahead and then have a zahir off <laughs> talk about i saved him for last because he's the what? most controversial airbending character what a jerk <laughs> we, also, we, we did talk about Hot a couple of things Steven. already yeah but... we, we 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 mentioned him but that if there was some something about zahir that we wanted to get into that we didn't earlier he's short <laughs> he is, he's he like is, wolverine yeah. he said what do you see him next to please funny yeah, yeah. um I, 
he his introduction was kind of badass in the series where he like frees himself and then he goes and frees all his friends and they're kind of this like ragtag group of they were scary they were well they were yeah they have the combustion yeah. bender a lava bender and then yeah. now yeah. an air they were, no they were, they were all in these octopus water bending lady yeah, yeah. and they were <laughs> yeah, all in these, i like... love the red lotus as villains you know i love good villains right mm. yeah um, like they I were love... a cool idea they were like an anti-team avatar yeah. They, yeah, and I also I love, love that. How they were all in like these these funny like kung fu panda prisons. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, they were totally in kung fu panda prisons. <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, like that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I like I like Zahir. Yeah. I think Zahir is interesting because he he uh, he's like a type of villain where you can really. I think what makes him so good and memorable is that you can really see where he's coming from. And that he's kind of making good points in some way. Like the Earth Queen sucks, and her being gone is probably good. Like there shouldn't be a monarchy. Like I agree, Zahir, go for it. Yeah, she's <laughs> but... obviously. I say obviously for anyone that knows Chinese history, she's obviously modeled after the last Empress of China, uh, Sushi, and that she was yeah. kind of in her own world and extravagant, and I thought even... that the people, you know, the subjects really owed her and she didn't really yeah. owe them anything i love how they had mako and bolin's grandmother being like oh i love her so much being like this worshiping yeah, the royalty the yeah yeah which is a very real thing too with oh like, yeah ladies in the uk yeah. they love the queen for some reason oh and yeah gosh. like when when they destroy when they kill the queen when i, when oh. I was i was older they kill the queen and then they go on the radio and he is like well the queen is dead you're free now and they tear down the walls that separate the different classes of Basi say I was like uh, cool <laughs> good <laughs> like I, I was kind of excited which yeah. is not something that you should usually feel when the villain is like winning but yeah, yeah I mean, the class yeah. structure of Basi says bullshit and so is the monarchy like they were yeah. making some good points it's just that and then the other thing with Sahir was that he I always found it very fascinating his opinion on the avatar is that no one is like better than everyone else so there shouldn't be anyone who could, could like i think it was that just the idea that that there should that there would be like one person who's destined to help the world or is better than everyone else it was kind of like the same idea with getting rid of hierarchies and that was also i think an interesting an interesting point yeah i thought it was interesting with his like well one okay one you have to give him credit that earth queen death was in insane like i have asthma so watching that i was like oh my god yeah it kind of makes like, you think what? like that was world, messed up but the it world was... got really lucky that the that the <laughs> no mans are pacifists because like yeah. if you've got like 20 of those guys you could like <laughs> choke out an entire village <laughs> just by taking all the air away but i don't know i i guess i thought his relationship when i when i thought of it through this lens of non-attachment that seems to come up a lot with the airbenders i was you know i was thinking like okay well with the flight he lost his attachment to his love plea and then he was able to fly and actually there was a cool moment where um the other the other people of the red lotus were like what happened to plea and he like fell a little when he was fought, like he like fell because he like thought of her which was interesting oh, that's an interesting detail. yeah with his non-attachment and then so I was I was discussing this with my husband before and I'm like well isn't he attached to this his 
like perp isn't he attached to you know killing Korra and you know killing the leaders of the four nations and abolishing the white lotus like isn't that attachment how can he how can he achieve these things and then he would so we got into it a little bit but I think like he sees this he sees this um you know anarchy as his purpose or dharma in life and he'll sacrifice himself like that's why that's why there was so much of an issue with Kubira coming afterwards it's like well you know you can't just like kill the queen without putting something else in its yeah, place if you create or a else... power vacuum something will always exactly so and you know cord says that to him like in prison she goes well you know you left all of this you know it was chaos after you left and he's just like oh yeah, I guess I never thought about it like, <laughs> like that. But I mean, I guess I see him as non-attached. Like his, he, his purpose to him was, you know, this anarchy and abolishing, you know, the avatar, etc. But he wasn't attached to the outcome of it. Like he would, he would sacrifice himself if it meant like achieving this goal, which is why I think that he was able to fly and also he was just really good he was great at spiritual projection as well which was like which is another you know airbender talent like like janora he i would say he's second to janora at spiritual projection but yes that's my that's my zahir interesting villain Stephen, you you looked like you had something to say, but not really. No, I not mean, really. To be honest with you, like I've seen Korra, but the the original series Avatar is is where my heart really lies. Um, so I am not. I mean, I, of course, I know who Zaheer is and all of that, but I've seen him, but I haven't revisited it over and over again the way I have with the other series. So. I just don't know that I have much to say that's going to add to anything that you and Christina and Yogi have already said. Cool. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and go into closing thoughts. Um, and then I'm going to uh, actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read this essay and then we'll go into closing thoughts and then everyone will once again, let you know where you can find them. So uh, I will bring the panel back after reading this. It's a real quick one. You'll be able to find this on my blog if you want to uh, read it for yourself, but I'm going to narrate it for you now in my beautiful voice. <laughs> um, so I wrote an essay about the cultural influences in the Air Nation. So let me just zoom in a little bit. Okay. So the Air Nation and airbending is an important part of Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. While we see a resurgence of the Air Nation and Korra, when Avatar Aang emerges from the ice, he is the last of a dying race, his people having been wiped out while he was frozen for 100 years. The Air Nation, like all four nations in the main series, has many influences from Asian cultures, but in particular Hinduism, Buddhism, and Tibetan monastic tradition. Before getting into the Air Nation itself, it is worth noting that the cultural influences of the title Avatar. The term Avatar comes from Avatara, which is a Hindu concept. Avatars are incarnations of gods so that they can come to the human world and affect mortal affairs. One of the most popular of these is Krishna, who is the Avatar of Vishnu. Krishna is famous for his role in the text Bhagavad Gita, 
where he acts as the chariot driver of a warrior named Arjuna and teaches him about important Hindu concepts, especially the three margas or the three paths. As I have detailed in my episode on Chinese writing in Avatar The Last Airbender, which you can find in written, video, and audio form, the Chinese term for avatar that is used in the opening title of the show means a magical power that's descended to earth. Uh, both of these terms show the influence of Hindu of this Hindu concept of the avatara. So the monastic lives of those in the air temple is modeled after Tibetan Buddhist monks in multiple aspects, vegetarianism and dress, shaving of the head, detachment from earthly needs, enlightenment, meditation, reincarnation, and spiritualism, which is a lot of what we've talked about with the panel. Aang keeps with his vegetarian diet, and we see this reflected in his son Tenzin and his grandchildren um, on Air Temple Island in Republic City in Legend of Korra. While it is not necessary to eat vegetarian as a Buddhist practitioner, Buddhist monks and nuns observe vegetarianism as a way of upholding the tenet of respecting all life and causing no harm. Additionally, Tibetan monks wear robes that feature orange and red that are an obvious inspiration for the Air Nation uh, monk robes. The organization of the temple is also reminiscent of Hindu and Buddhist traditions. Air nomad acolytes learn from teachers called a guru, which is a Sanskrit word, who teach them about the monk lifestyle and all of the spiritual teachings. We see that students can also have a very close relationship with their guru, as embodied by Avatar Aang and Monk Gyatso. Names of the characters are also influenced by Tibetan tradition, as Tenzin Gyatso is the name of the current Dalai Lama, and his name has been split to name Aang's son, Tenzin, and his teacher, Gyatso. Shaving of the head is a sign of being detached from vanity, and as described by Tenzin and Korra, it also helps airbenders to feel possible sneak attacks. Detachment and emptiness are two central Buddhist concepts that we see embodied in the airbender monk lifestyle. Buddhist monks and nuns recognize that all experiences and phenomena are empty and therefore work to detach themselves from earthly desires. Part of this transcendence is um, for the air nomads is being able to fly with an air glider on a bison, becoming weightless like the wind. We see this transcendence to the extreme with the myth of Guru Lahima that inspires Zahir in season three of Korra. The talisman that Zahir reads to Lahima contains multiple Chinese characters important to Buddhism, including becoming empty or Xu and entering the void, Ru Kong. Uh, when this is achieved, the airbender is able to gain the power of flight without an air glider. When Iroh is explaining the four elements to Zuko, he specifically mentions that air is the element of freedom because the air nomads free themselves from earthly wants. But detachment does not necessarily mean that their life is unhappy. As we see with the Dalai Lama, he focuses on happiness and joy that comes from detachment because it puts an end to suffering. In Buddhist and Hindu teachings, detachment from desire and crushing illusion leads the practitioner closer to enlightenment. Called nirvana in Buddhism and moksha in Hinduism, the achievement of enlightenment allows one to escape the vicious cycle of birth and rebirth, known as samsara. The vehicle to recognize these truths is through meditation. Aang even says om as he meditates, which is a sacred symbol that is chanted in Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. The practice of meditation is inherently connected with the airbender monk lifestyle and is often used by uh, the avatar to connect with their past lives and enter the spirit realm. The avatar's reincarnation is obviously inspired by Buddhism and Hinduism, and the avatar's being reborn to help people is also reminiscent of the Dalai Lama and other bodhisattvas who have achieved enlightenment and could enter nirvana but instead choose to be reincarnated over and over to help others. 
Spiritual, spiritualism and connection to the spirit realm is an inherent part of the Air Nation monastic practice and is essential to the life of the Avatar. One interesting distinction between Avatar Aang and Avatar Korra is that Aang is naturally spiritually inclined but struggles with bending, particularly fire and earth bending, whereas Korra finds bending easy but the spiritual aspects of being the Avatar difficult. We also learn from the Legend of Korra that the Avatar gained their power by becoming one with the spirit named Rava literally becoming the bridge between the mortal and spirit realms. Throughout both shows, the Avatar interacts with spirits and calms them down if they, are, if they have been harmed by humans. The spiritual world of Hinduism and Buddhism is vast, filled with gods and hungry ghosts, but those who are able to transcend the mortal realm can cross the barrier from one realm to the other. This is just a brief discussion of the Buddhist, Tibetan, and Hindu cultural influences on the Air Nation. It is obvious that the show creators and writers were inspired by these cultural and religious traditions, especially the monastic tradition. While the series can be seen as a kind of Asian fusion, it does get a lot of details right, and in many ways, the Air Nation and the characters such as Monk Gyatso embody the feel and the spirit of these traditions. So that is the very short essay write-up that I did, which you can find on my blog. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and bring back the panel and have them give me their final thoughts. Uh, panel, there they are. <gasps> and Christina has little Zuko, her cute doggy on her lap. Hello, Zooks. <laughs> Yogi, let's go ahead and I know it's hard because there's a dog on the screen to even focus. I would focus. just like to say that that name is amazing because that spot on his face looks exactly like Zuko yes and those of you that are <laughs> listening perfect to form, you need to watch the youtube video because we can see that he has brown on one side of his face just like zuko's scar oh. i hope the origin of that spot is not as traumatic as zuko's scar though did, did your husband uh, did your husband defeat him in nagni kai <laughs> he does he does kind of look like he's having nam flashbacks right now <laughs> i know okay no, he's just a wiggly puppy um, <laughs> okay well so i mean um, Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, we're gonna say goodbye to Zuko. He's like, he's like, what? This isn't a Fire Nation episode. Get me out of here. <laughs> Hi, Zuko. So you Hi, can Zooks. give us your uh, your closing thoughts on anything Air Nation or Airbending. Closing thoughts. Okay. Um, I mean, I definitely agree with all the points in your essay. Uh, I think we, the Air Nation is my favorite nation. I think I, I didn't mention that before. So to close it off, I like them the best because. I really like their uh, their powers are kind of cool, and it's more but it's more, it's more the spiritual aspect of it. And and uh, Ang is my my favorite character in the show, which is not that popular of an opinion. Most people go with Zuko or, or Toph or something, but Iroh's my favorite. Oh, Iroh is a good one too. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's just, um, yeah. So it it's it's so interesting and i think legend of korra think of it was what you will added onto that by by partly bringing back the air nomad so we get to explore more of the teachings and practice but also introducing an am nomad villain which i thought was a brilliant move because it it highlighted the downsides of those teachings that we also touched on the idea of how does the detachment work what is you know the ultimate consequence of this idea of freedom that they have so highlighting that with with a villain character i thought was really good on the writer's part and just yeah overall a great great thing for children to watch a great culture with great teachings and uh, cool tattoos what more can you say i love them <laughs> yogi he loves them christina how about your closing thoughts 
Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm not, if I had to go into like, which nation I talk about the most, it might be like Earth or Fire, but at the same time, I've personally been doing a lot of, I, I probably mentioned it, but I'm getting into like the spiritual aspect of my yoga practice because for mental health reasons, just trying to, you know, have a clearer mind and, you know, more uh, attentive life. So as I've been doing that, it's been really interesting seeing it applied to different works of fiction that I like. Uh, this one is an excellent example. And just like you pointed out in your essay, all of those, all of those um, relations back to Buddhism and, you know, the teachings and everything like that is really, I, I love when it shows up in fiction and it's helping me in my own personal journey being like, oh yes, that's what, that's what they meant like when Aang's chakra was blocked. And, you know, I'm thinking about that, thinking about the meditation. And I see it a lot um, in Star Wars too, with the Jedi, um, as I've been, I've been getting into that. I've just finished Rebels. And so it's been really, oh my gosh, sorry, Zuko just broke in. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's been really enlightening to me. And I think that the teachings are, really good, especially for kids, like to teach kids these nonviolent ways and meditation and just, you know, the peaceful, peaceful, um, I know he's so cute. He's got his um, little butt in the camera. I, love. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's a great, I thought it was a great choice for Nickelodeon. Um, I hope that they're able to adapt some of the comics and some of the other characters in this world, like Kiyoshi, I would love to see an animated adaptation of that. And just overall a really positive, um, really positive show that can teach people how to live more peaceful lives. I love the Zuko cameos. <laughs> Steven, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, I'm, they've, your other guests have already said it beautifully, um, but I will just add uh, my favorite character, probably Toph. I love the Earth Kingdom. It's like, you know, to, to be a fan of the show, I love the Earth Kingdom. But Stephen is an air nomad from a philosophical point of view. I consider myself an airbender, air nomad, what have you. Um, I love this idea of, of personal freedom coupled with um, communal responsibility and care that they have. You know, each, each individual is free to do as they will, but it, they're always working towards the betterment of the group. Uh, so I guess I consider myself like an air nomad of the monk Gyatso variety. You know, um, he's, a, he's a middle-aged man who likes to make, to crack wise and, you know, is, is very dedicated to passing on his wisdom and knowledge to the next generation, which is an admirable thing. Um, I, I do just, I love this show in general. I love um, the complex ideas that they explored with it. But as far as like the air, the air nation itself, it's very rare that you get a pacifist 
title character, main character in a story about with a lot of action and high fantasy elements. Um, and it's done so beautifully and it's done so relatably. And I think this show in general and its primary protagonist in Aang in particular have changed the way millennials and Generation Z view the world. I think it has, it has had a huge effect on the zeitgeist of the younger generations that have come, that have grown up with it their whole lives in a way that no other piece of media I have seen has ever impacted the, 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 the ongoing culture in that way. Nothing from my childhood changed the way we all thought about the world we lived in. But I really feel like Avatar The Last Airbender has done that. And a lot of that is down to the way that they portrayed Aang and airbenders and the airbending philosophy in general. Awesome. Thank you so much to the panel. Once again, you can find Yogi at his um, channel slash podcast through the moon door, Stephen over at Here Be Dragons and the lovely Christina over at Lip Ringers. And once again, I will have all of those links in the description. And I could not have done it without um, these great panelists and with the cute little baby Zuko. So <laughs> there he is making one more little uh, one more uh, appearance. Hello. What a sweetie. I know you can't hear me because of the headphones, but I'm still going to talk to him. Um, but thank you so much for all of those who are listening. Once again, I have a lot of content coming up. Please follow me on Twitter. There is a little icon in the bottom right of this video that is me. Uh, and if you click that, you will be subscribed to the YouTube channel. If you're listening in podcast form, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. That would be awesome. And leave me a good review. And I will see you next time. Thank you once again to my great panelists.